are you guys this morning? Yes, okay, we're still waking up, good. Um, Good morning, my name is Emily Jamison. It is a great gift to get to be with you again. If I haven't met you before, um, I hail from Gig Harbor, Washington, a few hours south, and I met, um, well, I didn't actually meet her, I was speaking at Collide a handful of years ago, and Laurel was in the audience, and she then introduced me to her husband, Grant, and you have become dear friends. I've had the great privilege of coming back um, for the last several years as a guest preacher, and um, it's just the greatest privilege to witness the body of Christ in all its forms around the world, right? Because we didn't, we didn't come to church this morning. You are the church. You are the church. There's one church worldwide. I have the great privilege of being in a master's cohort that is an international cohort. There's about 13 of us from all around the world, different backgrounds, different stories. And it is so incredible when we gather together via Zoom and we share our stories, testimony of what we're witnessing around the world, what God is doing. And it just expands my faith and my understanding of who God is, what he is capable of, how kind he is. And so every time I come here, I am so grateful. It is such a gift to be with you. And just so you know, this church is such a beautiful, oh, it's so beautiful. Even being backstage this morning, I threw some wild wrenches and things because everything's always changing with me. I'm a little unpredictable. And, and there's this beauty of excellence in this space where your production team and all, they, they want it to be excellent and for you to be served so well. And yet also, they are so willing to be led by the Spirit and say, yes, let's go. What does God have for us? And they'll flex and shift. And so there are a lot of things coming at you this morning that were not planned yesterday. Let me introduce my family really quickly, just so you kind of have a sense. I run a small frat house. Um, So we have four boys. My husband, Marshall, the tall drink of water on the left. um, He is fantastic. He is on staff with Young Life. Um, We mark four years this past week that we moved to Gig Harbor and and 15 years on staff with Young Life. Um, It's a ministry for youth, um, middle school and high school kids that ends up serving generations, and it's beautiful. Um, My oldest, Tucker, is on the right. He got his license on Monday. So he is driving um, a sweet whip, my old minivan, and um, he is a joy. I love parenting teenagers. I, I, I mean, I enjoy him more and more all the time. Um, my 13-year-old, Bennett, loves golf, just refereed his first soccer game yesterday, which is fun. Wesley, in the middle, in the red shirt, he is my passionate child. He loves every sport. He loves to compete. He hates to lose. And he is my child, who, on the one hand, is like, I love you, mommy, mommy, and then the next me, he's like, I will kill you. You know, I mean, he just... He feels all the feels, and right now it's just passion, but I trust that the Lord will shape it into compassion over the years. And, um, and then Finn, we joke that he is the finale, the sweet finale, because the shop is closed. And um, we have no more <laughs> coming, but, um, but he is a delight. He's seven. He turns eight this next month, and, um, and it is just such a privilege and a gift um, to be their mom. And... It takes a lot of my time and energy, and it's refined me more than anything I've ever done. Um, But it is a great delight. And um, I also have a business. So it's called Jameson Coaching. And for the last 15 years, I have been coaching high schoolers and then college students. And then it's expanded, and I now work with people of all ages, but leadership and executive coaching with an undergirding of spiritual formation. Because I really trust that God cares about every detail of our lives, the decisions we make in boardrooms and at 
dinner tables. And that as we learn and lean in to the voice of God, um, that we're, we're meant to be integrated. We're meant to have our, our entire life integrated. It's not Sunday morning and then Monday meetings. It's that, that actually God cares about every detail and is the great thread throughout all of our lives to give us wisdom and insight and peace and discernment for the flourishing of the city, for the love of the people that are right in front of us. So that's what I get to do. That's a little bit of me. And today I'm really excited because we are together going to do a little bit of a journey backwards through this sermon series. I was so struck because last night I listened to each of the sermons. How many of you guys have been here through most of the surveys, the, the series of the table? It's been stunning. Um, if you're able, go back and listen. Each, each sermon had such gold. And I was listening last night as Grant sat at a table with um, the youth leaders in the church. And at first my stomach dropped because he off the cuff quoted the very scripture that I was going to start with today. And then they started talking about all the things that I was going to talk about today. And I thought, oh no, oh no, they've already said it all. I have nothing else to say. And then the Lord reminded me um, that leaders are repeaters, okay? And, and the reality is, is we need to hear things over and over again. The enemy has no problem lying to us over and over again. So I think it's probably quite significant that we hear the truth over and over and over again. And so my invitation for you today is around this idea of intergenerational friendship. Intergenerational friendship that we are designed to be in family, in community, in friendship with people across the generations, that we need the zeal and the zest of the young, and we need the wisdom and the temperance of the old. We, 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 need, we need each other. And I want to start in 2 Timothy, this letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, and it's so beautiful. It begins, and it really is speaking to biological and non-biological friendship. He's talking about a seed of faith that has been deposited in this young man. And Paul has seen something in this young man. It's so clear by this letter that, that they have been close. They have shared meals together. They have shared time together. Timothy has been in the presence of Paul as he has preached and shared with others. They've been together. They've shed tears together. They've suffered together. And there's an invitation to keep going together. And so I want you to just listen and perhaps read. There will be some of the words on the screen. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God in keeping with the promise of life that's in Christ Jesus to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace. From God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience. As night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers, recalling your tears I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. Paul's remembering the last time they were together and they would have parted ways. Have you ever had to part ways with someone knowing that you might not see them for a time? Maybe it's a son or daughter going off to college or a dear friend that is moving. And that last time you're together and you embrace and there are these tears, tears of deep gratitude for what you have experienced together grief and longing for what you might not, but also hope for when you might be together again. This is the relationship that, that Paul has with Timothy. I'm going to carry on in a different translation. He says this, I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. This is where the faith came from. I want you to pause for a moment 
Feel free to close your eyes if it helps you with focus. And I just want you to ask the Lord, God, would you remind me, where did the seed of faith come from for me? Who handed you the seed? Was it a grandparent, a parent? Someone in the community, someone else's grandmother, a youth leader, a friend, a coworker? Who was it that you first witnessed faith in? Who was it that when you saw their life, something in you realized you were hungry and you're like, I will have what she's having? Would you be filled with gratitude for where faith was seated? That was God's design, God's idea to place faith in you, that it might bloom and flourish. It came through his grandmother and then his mother. And then he says, and I know that that same faith continues strong in you. I know. Why does he know? Because he spent time with this young man. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. This is a closeness that they had. I can imagine Paul, like a father who had no children of his own, just embracing Timothy as his son and just hands on him, son, this faith, I'm just instilling something in you. So the seed has come from a grandmother and a mother, and yet it's been fanned into flame. It's been imparted, imparted as, as giving someone an experience of something. It's been imparted by Paul. Who's given you an experience of faith? They didn't just tell you about God. They didn't just convince you of the reality of scripture, though that's very necessary, but they gave you an experience. They invited you into their very life. They talked about how they prayed. Maybe they prayed with you. Maybe they opened the scripture together with you. Maybe they invited you to an event and you witnessed them worship or you watched them interact with others. You served together. This was a life on life experience. How many of you are recalling things even now? Can you raise your hand? Can you recall an experience of faith that you've shared with another? For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Power, love, and a sound mind. And then he says this, so never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord and don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison, okay? <laughs> this is, don't be, don't be ashamed. Even though I'm in prison, for him, with the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. Be ready to suffer with me. Part of intergenerational friendship is the invitation to suffer together. There's some research that has come out recently and it talks about when people suffer or grieve together, oxytocin is actually released in our system. It's a binding chemical. It's the same thing that's released in your body when, um, when you make love and when you nurse a baby. Th these are things that are incredibly binding to another human being. When we suffer together, we are bound together. And Jesus invites us to suffer together. So often, we are offered a gospel that says, once you follow Jesus, he's gonna protect you and keep you and it will be you know, life on a cruise ship and virgin margaritas evermore. And then you walk like three steps and you're like, I call, you know? Um, no, I'm sorry, that's actually just not the reality. The reality is that you have stepped on a battleship and you are at war and you have an incredible captain who is kind and gracious and merciful who has incredible insight and he says, suffer with me. I have already gone to the cross, take it yours. And in the midst of that, you will find life. You will find life. And this is not all there is. This is but a whisper. Heaven is coming. 
It's a very different story. And I have needed older people in my life to lean in, to share with me their stories, to in a way prepare me to suffer and also to prepare me to celebrate because it's both and, isn't it? Isn't life both and? In one moment, I can be grieving something and in the next moment, be celebrating something else. It's a, it's a great and. It's the word that most shows up in the Bible is and. Joy and sorrow deeply mingled. It's the glory of the cross. It's the reality of our lives. He goes on to say, for God saved us and called us. Look at, listen to this language, us, us. For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. That word holy, so many people hear it and think it means set apart. That is the fruit of holiness. If God is set apart and so far from sin, how do we explain Jesus who walked right in the middle of the mess? How do we explain the Holy Spirit who at the very beginning hovered over the chaos? In fact, that word in its origins means devoted, entirely devoted. Let us live entirely devoted lives because God is entirely devoted to us. And as we devote ourselves, our affections, our passions, our gifts, as we devote those things to God, because he is devoted to us, then we will live a life that looks so differently from everyone else, where we can walk right into the midst of mess, right in the midst of sin, and we, we operate, we live, we think in such a way that's so set apart that other people want the same. They are compelled to draw near. Do you see that Jesus is the most compelling figure in all of history? People just want to be near him. They can't help but just want to be near, to grab his cloak, to lean into his presence. It didn't even matter the, the people that were around him. He was more compelling. Oftentimes people that hang around Jesus are rather repelling. Um, but he's worth getting close. I think about the woman. The woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. And she's not even supposed to be in the midst of the crowd and Jesus is surrounded, yet she has to get near him even though people are muttering. Zacchaeus in the tree, and Jesus says, come down from there. I wanna have dinner at your house tonight. And everyone's muttering, but it doesn't matter. He comes down with joy because that man, that's the man I wanna be near. There is something about this man, this God man, this shepherd king. He says he has saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from before the beginning of time to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. And now he has made all of this plain to us by the appearing of Christ Jesus, our savior. He broke the power of death. Can anyone say amen? He broke the power of death. When he died on that cross and rose from the dead, do you know what he proved to us? That not even death can separate us from the love of God. Not even death can separate us from the love of God. Nothing that you have done, nothing that you have not done, nothing that has been done to you can separate you from the love of God. He is a pursuer. He is persistent. He adores you. You have done nothing to receive it, but because he created you in the image of the living God, you are worthy of his love. He says, you, you are worth Jesus to me, the Father. And, and Jesus said, it is, it is worth my whole life to lay it down for my friends. This is love. This is the love of God. 
He had made, he's made all of this plain to us by the appearing of Christ Jesus, our Savior. He broke the power of death and illuminated the way to life. Who is the way? Jesus. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And immortality through the good news. And God chose me to be a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of this good news. That is why I'm suffering here, but I'm not ashamed of it. For I know the one whom I trust. I don't just believe he exists. I know him. Do you know him? Do you know him? Faith is not just a mental assent. It is an allegiance of your whole life. Body, heart, and soul. Do you know him? Has he won your heart? Has he won your trust? If he hasn't yet put it on him, come find me. Come find me, God. That was my prayer at 19 at Dartmouth College, walking up campus one night, and it was like out of nowhere, it felt like a divine tap on the shoulder. And I remember looking up at the sky and thinking, wow, I don't, I don't know the last time I thought about you, God. I don't know what I've been thinking about, but it hasn't been you. And if you want me, you're gonna have to find me because I don't know where you are. And my goodness, did he answer that prayer. He says this, Timothy, hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching that you learned from me. The pattern. He said, you've been with me. You've seen the way that I think, the way that I teach. Hold on to it. It's a pattern shaped by the faith and the love that you have in Christ. Through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. He goes on later to say, Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. You've heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now, teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. This is the word for you today. God is entrusting you with truth. He is entrusting you with life. It is first for you and then for others. Would you pass it on? Would you guard it and pass it on? I think about in Revelation where it talks about how we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. It is wild to me that my story, that your story is in alignment with the cross. It is that powerful that when you show up and you tell your story, how you have witnessed God meet you in the midst, what you have seen of God, when you tell that story, it offers faith to people. It brings breakthrough to people. And I wanna share you, with you a few stories. I met Susan at 16. I was on crutches, I'd just torn my ACL, I was having an identity crisis of sorts. And I crutched into a high school football game. And on that cinder track, my track coach, a guy named Twigs, I don't think that was his real name, came up to me and said, hey, I want you to meet my friend Susan. She was brown-eyed and bushy-tailed, she was just the most joyful woman, she had just gotten married. She said, hi, my name is Susan. Do you wanna come and hang out with me and some friends on Thursday night? And she was hosting a weekly Bible study for high school girls. She happened to be a young life leader. And I remember sitting around a coffee table with her as she unpacked the scripture and asked us about our stories. And I was so perplexed by this woman, where does her joy come from? Over the course of high school, I didn't always get to go because I continued to play soccer, I recovered. And, and I would go every so often, but there was just something about this woman who every time I met with her, whether it was across the table in a coffee shop or around a coffee table in a living room, there was just something about her joy her interest, her curiosity in my life. I remember she showed up at my high school graduation and it was such a joyful time and I remember setting eyes on her as she ran toward the bus. We were about to leave for the all night party and I saw her and I ran out and hugged her and just sprung into tears. 
Who is this person that is not my family that loves me that she would show up for me this way? Years later, I would be invited by Susan to come and sit at her kitchen table. She by then had a few little kiddos. They would be watching Curious George and yelling, you're talking too loud, mom, I'm trying to watch my show. And she would feed me banana bread and I would just go over every Tuesday morning for an hour from like 6.30 to 7.30 before I would go to work. And she would just ask me questions. I don't know how she was so present with me. Now that I have children, I'm like, she's a miracle worker. And in that season, it was just me. She wasn't meeting with lots of other people. It was just me. She made that one hour. It might've been just 45 minutes. And she would have banana bread or instant oatmeal. It wasn't fancy. And she would listen, but she would also share. I remember that year she shared with me as she walked through a really difficult season in her marriage. And I watched her faith and her leaning into Jesus. Do you remember Grant gave this beautiful picture of, of we feel like we need to be in balance, but when pressure comes, we wanna move away from it. And yet God's invitation is to move toward the pressure by his grace. She would, she would move toward the pressure with God and he, he worked things out in a beautiful way. But I got to be with her in the midst of the mess. I walked with her that year through a really tragic miscarriage. She opened up her life to me as a 22-year-old and shared with me what happened. I remember wondering, gosh, will this be my story one day? And sure enough, eight years later, it was. I got to suffer with her and it taught me what suffering looked like in the midst of grief, how to go to the Lord rather than to be angry, how to have him soothe me in the midst of fear and wonderment. She was such a gift to me and still is. At 17, I met Cindy. Cindy hosted a Bible study around her kitchen table and she had this like weathered skin because she loved to run and so she just ran miles and miles. And she was just like leathery and gorgeous and had like a Lauren Hutton gap between her two front teeth. Does that age me a little? I don't know. And, and she was an incredible baker. And she just invited young women to come for a Bible study. And I, I just wanted to be there. And I remember showing up and I was a sophomore and there were some junior girls and some senior girls. There were only five or six of us. I would have never imagined who would show up. I remember one, one girl, she was a senior and she was the like super cute kind of wild party girl. And she's sitting at the table and I'm, I'm looking at her and, and the way that Cindy looked at each one of us with eyes of such curiosity and purity and hope. And I watched as this girl who I never thought would show up at something like that responded with such a desire to know who this Jesus was. And it tenderized my heart because I watched Cindy look at her and it changed my heart and it made me wonder, does everyone have this curiosity hidden behind their brokenness? I think yes. A freshman in college, I was 19 when I met Heather. Heather was on staff with the Navigators and she would meet with me not around tables, but on picnic blankets in the middle of the green and across tables at a bagel shop where we'd meet often. And she wrestled with me through faith and life as friends were being invited by professors to sit across the table and basically told to denounce their faith because they wouldn't need that. They were too smart for that. That's what happens in an Ivy League school. And yet Heather wrestled through she was 30-something and single and had this space and time where she invited these young women into her presence and imparted such wisdom and joy. I remember the week of my graduation, I sat with her on that green where I first met her, and she said, Emily, 
you're gonna graduate from the school and all of you think that you're gonna change the world. <laughs> which is awesome. And I'm not at all gonna look down on you for that because I think it's really significant, the zeal that you have in you. But there are going to be days when you feel like you have failed because you didn't actually change the world. And I want you to hear this, your 20s, your 20s are gonna be for figuring out who you're not. You're gonna try all sorts of things and you're gonna fail at them and you're gonna date people and that's not gonna be your husband and, and realizing who you're not and who you're not to be with and who you're not, what you're not to do in terms of your work is actually a great victory because it will help you determine who you are, what you are about. And you'll begin to settle into who you are in your 30s and 40s, and I just wanna encourage you that you will not make your greatest contributions to the world until your 50s, 60s, and beyond. That's a word for this room. Please understand that we need the zeal of the young and the wisdom of the old, and we need us together to actually make a move in the kingdom of God. She gave me such a gift in her wisdom though she was only in her 30s, but she had mentors. And she was passing on to me what she had been taught. I graduated from college, and that is when I met Al. I was 23. He was my first boss. I was working for a consulting firm. He wore a bow tie every day. He's a man of incredible integrity, wild generosity, and he invited me and entrusted me with things I should have never been entrusted with at 23. I was doing consulting in these organizations. He took me to the Christian Management Association conference. I remember sitting under the teaching of Patrick Lencioni. And I mean, it was just unbelievable what he offered me. I got to travel with him to do consulting for these um, small nonprofit Christian companies. He was giving his life away because he had already had a long, he had already retired at like 55. He was just wise and generous. And he was giving his life away to essentially consulting and helping Christian organizations that could not otherwise afford consulting. Um, to be able to help them, encourage them. And he brought me along and there was never a moment of indiscretion. I never feared. I've had people tell me, what, you traveled with an older man and you did consulting? He was like a father to me. He gave me a picture of what it looked like to invest in a younger person of the opposite gender with no fear, with no indiscretion, as a, as a daughter or a son, as a younger brother or a sister. Do you realize that you have the opportunity to change the narrative of a fearful world? by way of operating in integrity and investing in the younger generations in a way that honors them and honors you. That was at 23. Fast forward, I meet Becky at 27. She was the CBS leader. She was teaching scripture and it was the first time I watched a woman teach the scripture from a place of such depth and wisdom and story. And there was something in me that began to fire up and I thought I wanted there's something in me that, I mean, when I was young, I never played house. I, I lined up all my stuffed animals and I lectured. I wanted to be a professor, you know? And I'm like, look at me now. I mean, just notice, like the things that you dreamed about when you were young, those were the seeds of God's design in you. And I remember sitting with Becky, she was much older than I, and she's since fought, fought through cancer. I sat with her at lunch last summer and she continues to be such a source of encouragement and wisdom. She invited me into the leader's circle at CBS. I was the youngest by 10 or 15 years. And every Tuesday morning, I sat with about 30 women that were at least 20 to 30 years older than me, if not many more. And I watched as we like unpacked scripture and opened all the cans of worms. And it was just exhilarating. And I witnessed, I watched something happen. That same year at 27, I had a little baby and I met Ariana and Sarah. I was coaching sixth grade lacrosse and Ariana and Sarah were in sixth grade. And I invited them to a small group. I began to do what I witnessed Susan do at 27. And they came into my living room, and a few years later, Ariana met Jesus in the middle of my living room. She's from a beautiful Jewish family. 
and she encountered Jesus. And last summer, I got to officiate Ariana's wedding. We're now on a call every other week, Sarah and Ariana and myself. They're leading, like running companies in Seattle, slaying in the world, loving Jesus, operating with integrity. Sarah, the other young friend, I remember going up to Malibu with her, a young life camp in Canada. She was processing, um, what am I going to do with my life? And she ended up going to Dartmouth, following in my footsteps in a sense. I give you all these stories and I'm realizing that I am running out of time. This is not planned, but this is what I want to offer you. What I want to offer you is story, that you have a story. And the, and the reality is, is for all of these people, those that invited me into their life and those that I have invited into mine, the first invitation is to the table of Christ. The first invitation is for you to meet with God at the altar of your heart. You cannot give away what you do not have. Grant talked about the table of presence. And so I want to invite you to an experience. I'm gonna invite you to close your eyes. I'm gonna invite you to engage your imagination. God says that he has given you the mind of Christ, the mind of Christ. And so God, would you paint upon our imagination what it is that you want us to see, what you want us to know. We lend you our bodies, our minds, our hearts, our imagination. And I want you to imagine that there is a table at the center of your heart where the Father and the Son and the Spirit reside. And you pull up a chair. They have been talking about you. Jesus has been interceding on your behalf, talking to the Father. The Spirit is preparing good things in advance for you to walk in. As you pull up a chair to the table, would you just ask the simple question of the living God? God, what is it that you want me to know? What is the first thing that comes to mind? Whatever comes first and fast is the spirit of the living God. Often next comes the enemy, the oldest lie in the book that says, was that really God? Did he really say? But the reality is, is the enemy doesn't talk to you this way. God, would you seed hope and encouragement in your people? Would you give them an experience of your presence? The next question I want to invite you to is, God, would you bring to mind someone in a differing generation? Maybe it's someone older. Maybe it's someone younger. Would you just bring their face or their name to mind? Who comes to mind first and fast? And now just ask the Lord, what is your invitation? What is your invitation? Do I invite them to coffee for a walk? Do I just give them a call? Would you pursue that person this week? Would you ask the question, what are you learning about God? Can I share with you what I'm learning about God? And would you have a conversation inviting them into a place of presence? Would you give away your life to the older, to the younger, that we together would reflect the fullness of the image of God? I'm gonna invite my friend Sabrina up. Sabrina is a dear friend that I met a couple years ago. And I'm just going to invite her to pray with you. I, I invited her to come with me. I always bring a friend to kind of pray and be with me. And I'm just going to invite her to pray over you. We were driving up in the car yesterday, and we were praying for you. And she just carries the most beautiful spirit of peace in her. And I was like, oh, would you pray for the people? And so I'm going to invite her to pray over you. Yeah, God, um, thank you for today, God. And thank you for this beautiful message and this reminder 
And God, of all the ways that you've encountered us, Lord, and how you want us to encounter others. There's three groups of people that I want to pray for today. As we think about intergenerational relationships and discipleship, uh, God brings to mind a few groups of people who are battling with things that are stopping them from forming these relationships. And the first are those who have been wounded by a generation that's not their own. I just feel the reminder that God sees you and that those wounds are real. Those things were not supposed to happen. But by his grace, he heals all things, and he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, God. And so as we hand over our pain, God, we ask for your rest. The second group of people are the parents in the room who are afraid of ruining the next generation. For those who feel like they might not parent gently enough, or that they don't have what it takes to teach and protect their children. And God, I see the truth, God, that we don't and we won't, but you say that your divine power has given us everything that we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And so we reject the lie that we will ruin our children. And we accept your truth that we have everything we need, God, to raise them well. And the third group of people are those who feel like their lives are not worthy of following. Emily said earlier that we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony, and that is so biblical. And it gives no conditions to what our life has to look like or what our testimony has to be. So God, we reject the lie that we have to have accomplished certain things or have to have our lives all buttoned up before our testimony can have impact, Lord. And we accept the truth that sometimes our testimony is as simple as this, that every day God met me right where I was. And every day I was different because of it. And so, God, we ask for healing. Lord, we ask for the continued work of removing those lies and putting on your truth, Father. Lord, and that living free would empower us to impact the next generation. In Jesus' name, amen.